As your interior designer, I'm saying do everything in black. Walls, sofa, carpet, goldfish, everything. Um, can we not have a bit of colour? Maybe one tiny highlight in Battleship Grey. It's your home, so you should be in charge. With Avancard's flexible home improvement loan, you are. You can choose any repayment period that works best for you up to 84 months. That's seven years. Find out more at avancard.ie. Lending criteria, terms and conditions apply. New applications only. Seven-year term applies to minimum loan value of €20,000. Avancard Dock Trading as Avancard is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. I am your host, the Doc Chat, Matthews. Lordsofpain.net. Wherever you may be listening... Doc says, Doc says, uh, this is just what the doc ordered. I'm saying welcome. They sick of the other shows. Chad here to help them. The author of the mania era is bringing terror on LOP radio. This is to prepare for the knowledge that he about to showcase. Like a bar that you lift, his opinions hold weight. He wrote a few books and he's working on another for y'all. It's a five-star podcast. Chad, let's get it on. Author of the WrestleMania era, the book of sports entertainment and of the doctor's orders on lordsofpain.net. Doc says. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to LOP Radio's continued coverage of the March Mayhem Tournament to crown the best wrestler in the entire world. This past week, the round of 32 came and went, so let's recap the action. In 21 minutes, the top seed in the cleaner regional, Kenny Omega, used every tool in his arsenal to get by the upset-minded Mustafa Ali. Kenny dominated, but Ali proved near impossible to put away and almost shocked the world with an 0-5-4 foiled only by Kenny resourcefully getting his foot on the rope. In the Sweet 16, Omega will face the 12-seeded Andrade, who perhaps has suggested with his victories over Hiromo Takahashi and now Adam Cole that he should have been pushed harder on WWE TV these past 12 months. Further down the bracket saw one huge upset by seeding and another by industry stature. Roman Reigns is going home early, the sixth seed losing to the third-seeded Will Ospreay in an outright classic 16-minute match. Reigns tried the strategy, worked effectively in the past against AJ Styles, but Ospreay quickened the pace early and wore out the still-recuperating Big Dog, whose wild attempt at a Superman punch unsuccessfully tried to counter a springboard stunner. Ospreay will meet not second-seeded Pentagon Jr. in the next round, but Finn Balor, who turned to the demon to get the psychological even playing field needed to best the incredibly characterful luchador. The Rainmaker Regional saw Kazuchika Okada blow past Jay White, only for the switchblade to strike hard at Okada's knee in the post. Either Daniel Bryan or Pete Dunne would have smelled blood in the water in the Sweet 16 when one of them met Okada, and it turns out that it will be the current WWE champion, not from the UK. Hailed an instant classic, Five-star match by the Wrestling Observer, Dunn versus Brian wowed the audience for 25 minutes with counter after counter after counter. Cattle mutilation was brought back by the planet's champ as most of his other submissions weren't as effective as he'd like at keeping the Bruiserweight's own joint manipulation game at bay. In the waning moments, it was a poke to the eye and a running knee that bested the UK title holder. Unfortunately for NXT UK, Tyler Bate will also be going home as he was defeated by Marty Skrull in yet another excellent contest. The UK still remains proud, of course. In the last match of the regional, Samoa Joe knocked Kota Ibushi around for a good long while, but the Golden Star of New Japan outlasted Joe in 23 minutes of bell-to-bell time. It will be Okada vs. Bryan and Skrull vs. Ibushi in the Sweet 16. 
Over in the Johnny Wrestling Regional, top-seeded Gargano combined with Johnny Impact for a thrilling 20-minute barn burner full of aerial offense. But it was the submission-based Gargano escape that foiled the Impact World Champion. Awaiting the top seed will be the fourth-seeded Cody, who actually got booed for a couple of mid-match mishaps. Should be an interesting clash of styles when Cody and Gargano meet in the Sweet 16. Third-seeded Ricochet was one of the major higher-seed casualties of Round 2, as he fell victim to the overwhelming physical domination of NXT UK's Walter. There may not be a more dangerous sub-five seed in the tournament than Walter, who likely gave Ricochet Prince Puma flashbacks to the main event of Ultima Lucha Uno opposite Mil Muertes. Walter will meet Hiroshi Tanahashi in the Sweet 16. Tana squeaked by the highly motivated Velveteen Dream, who combined with the Ace of New Japan for a very Puro-inspired match, earning the young NXT North American champ a lot of plaudits for his efforts. In 25 minutes in the opening contest of the Blackheart Regional, Tommaso Ciampa edged the WWE Cruiserweight Champion Buddy Murphy. What proved to be a wonderful performance from both fast approached its 30-minute time limit, leaving the live audience wondering what the protocol might be if a time limit draw occurred, but Ciampa's resourcefulness assured that was an idle curiosity. Unfortunately, Ciampa left holding his neck, which should make his Sweet 16 opponent Austin Aries start licking his chops. Last Chancery puts incredible torquing extension on the cervical spine, as Jordan Devlin could attest. Zack Sabre Jr. knocked off Cedric Alexander in a 17-minute Styles Clash that, while a little sloppy, was no less compelling. Seth Rollins beat Matt Riddle to advance as well, and what a dream scenario their match turned out to be. Rollins may be in serious trouble given the state of his shoulder and arm, though, as Riddle did everything short of make the man tap out. A pair of curb stomps at the 22-minute mark foiled the upset bid, but what a physical war with all sorts of athletic maneuvers mixed in. Tremendous. The action picks up next week with Sweet 16 early in the week, followed by Elite 8 action heading into the weekend. So we'll have all the results on next week's episode of The Doc Says. Hello and welcome to The Doc Says on LOP Radio. I am your host, the Doc Chad Matthews, author of the WrestleMania-era book series and of The Doctor's Orders on lordsofpain.net. Wherever you may be listening, thank you for making me a part of your day. And do not forget to go to the, uh, go to the little brackets, do your voting. Still plenty of time to influence the results of the March Mayhem Tournament to determine the best wrestler in the entire world. But... Moving on from that tournament, we'll come back to that with both the Sweet 16 and Elite 8 next week. But joining me today, debuting a segment, couldn't have been anybody better to help me bring this segment into fruition. It's the Sunday Wrestling Conversation. You can expect this about once a month. And on the show today, I want to welcome back friend of the program from both LordsOfPain.net and SocialSuplex.com. It's Rich Latta. I am so thrilled to be the first guy you thought of to uh, join you here today, Chad. Happy you're back with the Doc Says every week. I've I, I've since um, enjoyed the benefit of having access to these Doc Says shows early, so I, I've been taking advantage of that. Um, so <laughs> glad to be here. Of that. Man. I love that. Yeah, I was like, I'm bootlegging these podcasts. <laughs> Anybody want them early? Hit me up. <laughs> 
Well, it's great to have you back, man. Thank you. Uh, thank you for being here to, on this sort of debut segment occasion. Thank you for the kind words. No um, doubt. I will be very honest in saying that you are one of the major reasons why I have rediscovered my diehard, pure state of wrestling fandom in a more positive tone, and that is because for a very long time, Rich Latta, you had encouraged me during the time simultaneously when my WWE enthusiasm was on the decline. You kept saying, you got to check out New Japan Pro Wrestling. You just It, it seems like something that that after all the talks we've had over the years, that you would really enjoy and that would be right up your alley. And I don't know what it was that made me resistant to it, but for those of you out there who are kind of in the same boat as me, who have been a long-time WWE guy or girl, but just for whatever reason had a hard time breaking the cycle, breaking the monotony of the routine that you had been in for, you know, like for me, watching... Monday Night Raw, live every week. I mean, that was like a 20-plus year thing for me. It's hard to break that cycle. And since it's not that good, then you, you just to, to try to get free of it is very helpful to your fandom. So thank you, Rich Latta, for staying persistent. And I'm curious to know, I'll, I'll save my piece on the matter here in a minute, because I want fans to go check New Japan out. I think you will find it, especially those of you who have conversed over the years with me about the quality of pro wrestling matches. If you love pro wrestling matches and you want to see great ones, I really can't think of anywhere better to find them than New Japan Pro Wrestling. It's a treasure trove. So, Rich, what got you to look at and explore New Japan Pro Wrestling? Now, you're going to laugh. And anyone that's heard, like, you know, that's followed me on Twitter or heard, um, you know, my shows has notice that I've always taken joy in making fun of Jeff Jarrett, right? And <laughs> and saying he was the biggest finesser in the history of the business. Like he like never has someone got so so far on, you know, so you know what what he actually contributed, right? Uh but Wrestle Kingdom nine, uh like a lot of uh you know uh Western fans, pretty much they did the thing where Global Force Wrestling, which is a whole can of worms in itself presented new japan and it was like jim ross will be on commentary so i was at the time it was late 2014 when i was hearing about all this build up and of course i had been always hearing about how great new japan was i was in a similar uh boat boat as you and a lot of other people listen to this like there's no way it's that good there's no way it's that good like that you know and it's just like for a while, and I believe Sierra, we were just talking about her off air. She sent me a match in the middle of 2014, which ended up being Wrestle Kingdom Seven, which I believe you watched, Chad, if I'm not mistaken. It I was, believe so. Uh, it was Okada in 2000, and Tanahashi. Yeah, 2013. Yep. yep. So I watched it in the middle of 2014 with just no context, and I was like, man, the like these guys are going for the gusto, and like they showed up in these you know great outfits and everything like that. I was like, oh, this is. This is tight, but I had really no entry point for it. So I saw a couple of the hype videos, and one of them, ironically, was Shinsuke Nakamura and Kota Ibushi. And Matt Stryker was the guy building it up, and he said, Shinsuke Nakamura is my favorite wrestler on the planet. I'm like, who is this guy? He has the whole the Michael Jackson swag, the red and black. He's beating people's asses with his knees. And then I see Kota Ibushi. And I just see the crazy high flying. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm in. Uh, and then I was like, oh, this is going to be Jim Ross's possible last show. Oh, I'll check it out. 
And I was like, what do I have to lose? It's thirty five ninety nine. And I, I took the plunge. And then, you know, the main event, they were like, Okada and Tanahashi, this is like, you know, the one. Uh, and I had already seen one of their matches before. And I got to Wrestle Kingdom 9, and this is ironically in 2015, which was three or four weeks before the 2015 Royal Rumble, which is kind of, uh, I feel like it's a fork in the road for a, for a lot of things with WWE on how they handle their audience, who they decide to you know push around, and everything. This is like before that. And at that time, we've got the news of, you know, Roman Reigns is going to get this mega push that no one's really sure about at that point. Mm-hmm. He got Daniel Bryan just coming back, but he, he had been gone for so long. I didn't know if he was coming back by that point. Russell Kingdom takes place on January 4th. Ordered a pay-per-view, watched Russell Kingdom 9, was blown away. The, there was such a difference just in the wrestling, how physical it was, the emotions behind the story. Um, that that match between Nakamura and Ibushi was it was something I could not describe. Like I didn't know what I was watching. It was another sport from what I felt like WWE was at that time. And since that point, I feel like New Japan in 2017 and 18 went to another level from that. But Wrestle Kingdom Nine up to that point was the best pro wrestling event that I'd ever seen, and just from top to bottom. And it it was insanely paced. Like it, it was a four hour show. They bring these people out. They wrestle. They kill it. They leave. They bring the next people out. And it's just like I thought I was in. I was like, wow, this is just such a lifeline for what you know what what serious wrestling and you know the the feelings behind it would feel like. And you know this is Daniel Bryan's gone at this time. And uh, and you've mentioned this phrase before. Someone being your fan anchor. Yeah. And for me, Bryan w- was that guy. And I didn't know Brian was going to come back. So I wanted to seek out, you know, and the the chatter is getting louder and louder about what's going on around the world. And I'm like, I only watch WWE, but I'd like to watch a lot more stuff to be more informed about what I'm actually talking about. I didn't want to be one of those guys that said, if it didn't happen in WWE, it doesn't matter or anything like that. Because I remember being a kid in the first, and this is the ironic twist to my childhood, the first match that I can ever remember watching in the first pay-per-view was Starcade 95. It was what? It was WCW versus New Japan Pro Wrestling. Oh, yeah. It was Chris, Chris Benoit versus Juice and Thunder Liger. It was Shinjiro Itani versus Eddie Guerrero. This Wait. is what pulled me into wrestling yeah. at like a five- or six-year-old age or whatever. And I'm like, it makes all the sense in the world for me to check this out. And then I'm like, oh, okay, I watched the next pay-per-view that month, and it's Yuji Nagata from WCW, and who's an all-time legend by this point, and he's fighting against Nakamura. They have a great match, and it's just like month after month, it just keeps going. But from there, like New Japan's had, they had the whole deal where they uh, they lost AJ and Nakamura to WWE. There was a lot of questions. Then what happens? Kenny Omega comes, and it's just like. Man, <laughs> so yeah, but, I, I think, and on the topic of Kenny Omega, see, for me, that was the guy who he was the reason why I pursued looking at New Japan more closely because I I could not escape all the chatter about the match that broke the scale in 2017, I guess it was at Wrestle yeah. Kingdom 11, yeah, with him. And 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 um, and and Kazuchika Okada, and I mean, you watch that match, and for anyone who hasn't, you, you just you owe it to your wrestling fandom to do so. 
It was. It was, as I described in a column about a week later, it was a match that changed what I thought a pro wrestling match could be. And I remember feeling that way about a match with AJ Styles back in 2003 watching TNA. And I felt the same about Rey Mysterio back in 1996. They, they were just guys who changed what you thought you could see from a pro wrestling match. Incredible athleticism from Kenny Omega. Innovation and in spot design. Very smart. I mean, I love the way that he constantly is going for these big moves that are going to incapacitate his opponent. I loved the presentation. I thought the, the simplicity of it and the bombacity of it, the Terminator thing is what he was doing at the time. So he comes out, he's, get, he's dressed like the Terminator. The whole presentation of that match hooks me, but it's Kenny Omega's work in subsequent matches against uh, Chris Jericho a year later, and then again with Okada setting even a higher standard than from their six-star classic 18 months prior. I mean, Kenny Omega's the reason why I really got hooked, because ladies and gentlemen, what you will see from New Japan is matches that make you feel like the wrestlers in the ring would do anything in their possible power to win. It's been missing from WWE for a long time. Pro wrestling at its best makes you care about what these guys believe in and what they want the result of that match to be. They want to win. They want to win the championship. They want to be the top guy. And winning in that promotion means that you get there. And I missed the shit out of that about WWE. I hope it comes back someday. But I found it in droves in New Japan. And nobody does it better, in my opinion, over the past few years. Nothing I've seen since I started binge-watching things from as far back as 2012 has changed my opinion that Kenny Omega is the best wrestler that New Japan has produced. And the work that he does to me is better than anything else out there. So my question to you, Rich Latta, right now we sit in an era where we know that Kenny Omega is still going to be participating in New Japan pro wrestling shows. It's a part of his AEW contract. Nevertheless, AEW is his home. I presume they're paying him a lot of money. He's an executive producer. He's got stakes in the game. What does New Japan Pro Wrestling look like in the near future, especially, and especially, let's say, the year that follows, leading up to Wrestle Kingdom 14? What does New Japan Pro Wrestling look like in the post Kenny Omega is a top three or four guy role? Who replaces him, and is it going to matter? So the thing with it, right, and I've been such an Omega guy and a staunch uh, defender of like, you know, Omega and, and seeing, you know, just the ways that people have gone, like the lengths that people have gone through to try to tear what he does down. And in New Japan, there are the, the fans like around it, like, like Okada's a guy you can't like escape. Like he's, he's, he's excellent. There, he's as good as Omega or better. Like, and, and I've come to terms with Okada's real value here, but without Omega, uh, no, New Japan's gonna be fine, and that's it. Sounds crazy to say this now, and I've I've recently come to this uh, opinion because what New Japan is great at is preparing, uh, preparing for losses like this, and 
when you see New Japan, and I think you know, you just touched on it, it, it's a traditional pro wrestling business. So what do they have? They have organic hierarchies. They have dudes competing to really be the best out there, to really get over. To, and if they're really over, they'll get the shot, typically. Or if there's something in them, they'll get a shot. It's like we don't have like 50-year-olds hanging around at the top anymore. So with Omega leaving, it'll hurt them in the West, no doubt. There's no replacement excuse me there's no replacement for kenny omega is is, there's just not one but what they do have is a three-headed monster and i believe i've written about this in a column they have a three-headed monster between juice robinson will osprey and jay white as well as a a fourth guy in zach saber uh jr people can put them in whatever order they want they've jumped out the window a little bit with jay white putting the belt on him i'm learning kind of to process what this whole jay white thing is but they still have Okada, they still have Tanahashi, they still have Naito, Osprey, who's who will probably in the ring is probably the successor to Omega as far as being spectacular, being a great wrestler in and every night in and out against whoever Will Osprey can get. He got a four plus star match out of Taichi, and I don't know how far you've gotten, Chad, but Taichi is like. Yeah, it's a whole conversation about Tai Chi. Okay, so, I haven't gotten that far. Yeah, <laughs> so I think New Japan will be just fine. And it sounds crazy to say that for as as much of an anchor of Omega was. Like, I was watching New Japan before Kenny Omega, his, his real rise in the company. I saw him when he was a junior, always liked him. Then, you know, he's he'll be around, but I, I think it's going to be interesting to see if New Japan is actually going to try to – essentially be like we don't need you and and, you know see it's like a prideful thing i would think because you know um them they 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 put those years into building this guy and letting this guy be the star and then he leaves um i I think the only thing that to, to really say about that is new japan has prepared well just as they prepared for uh aj and nakamura leaving it's just a new era now well, I know the guy that I would love to see him come back and face at Wrestle Kingdom next year, and I know what I would want his role to be. And I'm going to bring a name back up that you already mentioned, because of all of the guys that we've talked about from Japan, one guy stands head and shoulders above the rest to me. All due respect to Naito, who I've grown very fond of in my New Japan binging. Going back and watching his character develop, in oh 2012, my like if you get the chance to go back and watch his matches with Okada in 2012, they're great, but it's like watching a different guy. I mean, it's unbelievable how a mere facial expression can completely change who you view this guy to be between the ropes. It's fascinating. Mm-hmm. He's like this doe-eyed, young, you know, you know. So to crazy thing about Naito was he was always, it, it seemed like his destiny was to be the next Tanahashi, wore similar colors, um, he was this high-flying baby face, essentially, but it never quite worked out for him, and he had to turn into something completely else, which actually turned out, out to be to his benefit, and he was always the guy that was like, why don't they do what you know, they were trying to do a Roman Reigns, like Tetsuya Naito, like the, the answer is there and they never took advantage of that. But, uh, Naito is another guy that he has a legion of fans behind him that are very passionate. Like there are, there's a section of Twitter called the crazed LIJ fans and don't bring up Wrestle Kingdom 12 with them. (laughs) 
the <laughs> Wrestle Kingdom 12 main event. For those of you who uh, who are kind of using this podcast as a bridge to NJPW, uh, Naito lost, and a lot of people thought that he was going to win the main event and win the championship and kind of go on his run. Still hadn't happened. A lot of people are now thinking, speculating, it might be his turn next year at Wrestle Kingdom. But a guy whose name that I would like to come up, should Naito end up taking that ball or getting at least back to that spot? Should they go down that road? My favorite of the Japanese wrestlers is Kota Ibushi. I love Kota Ibushi. I think that Kota Ibushi is as athletic as anybody I've ever seen in the ring. He does things with his facial expressions that really just grab me. It's overt. I like that. Um, I love that guy. And and he has now done the, the thing that he's not really ever done before, and that's made a commitment to New Japan. I would like to see it next year's Wrestle Kingdom. I would like to see Kota Ibushi versus Kenny Omega, and I would like to see Kota Ibushi defeat Kenny Omega at Wrestle Kingdom 14 and let that be perhaps the step that he takes to getting to that level. Would love to see it. Who knows? But I think Kota Ibushi, him signing, him coming and and making a commitment to New Japan is going to be a big factor in absorbing whatever blow they take from losing Kenny Omega. So, I mean, obviously, as you mentioned, they're well-stocked, but it's going to be interesting. I mean, they do seem loaded with talent to take that spot. I just watched a match um, earlier today before we did this recording, and it was Will Ospreay against Jay White, and that puts two guys into the spotlight that you did a moment ago. And certainly Jay White has made huge headlines in New Japan by becoming the IWGP heavyweight champion after Kenny Omega dropped the title just a few weeks prior to that uh, to Hiroshi Tanahashi, who a trusted colleague of mine who used to write for LOP and now has written a book about NXT for what culture, uh, Michael Peter Sidgwick, he says that Tanahashi is like Shawn Michaels to him and that he's actually the greatest wrestler he's ever seen and is his favorite wrestler of all time. So for a lot that of people guy, feel like that. Uh, for him to say that and for him to then Tanahashi go on and win the title back from Kenny Omega in the main event of Wrestle Kingdom to drop it to Jay White. Jay White has been one of the more interesting non-WWE topics out there because it's it's really grabbing headlines. It's not necessarily for the same reasons that we're accustomed to New Japan making headlines, but it's got people talking. What do you think of Jay White? The match with Osprey was fantastic. I thought it was awesome. I thought that Jay White made it very clear who he was going to be in the near future, perhaps for quite a while for New Japan. Osprey was as good as advertised as you had talked about moments ago. Jay White, IWGP champion thoughts so now jay white for me he represents a stark change from what new japan has been the last couple years they have been a match of the year factory literally you can throw a rock and hit like a 4.75 match uh out there and he's a guy that is young enough to still have that potential He's been shotgunned to an extent. Like he's won the this thing, the most protected and coveted belt uh, in wrestling, uh, really fast into his career, just over a year. I think, I think he's a very good wrestler. 
Like he's a guy that I, I would say, and I think I've described him possibly to finish L like this before. Like he could be a main eventer almost anywhere in the world wrestling at that standard and be on top right now. He's incredible on promos. He's a guy that you really dislike. Like, like, and he's a, he's a heels heel, but in new Japan, they've just done so many things with him, with us to condition us to not really like that. And then when somebody, he's a shock to the system, uh, to quote undisputed era, like where he's doing all the, the fuckery in the finishes, like where he is, his G one block has literally spent him, uh, getting him over showing how much he'll cheat to win and everything like that. And it's just like, they sacrifice some of the match quality to try to build him up a different kind of way. And people have drawn the parallels to Okada uh, when, when he first came back and people, a lot of people said Okada wasn't ready for me. I'm like, Okada's a bad example you want to use because either Jay White is going to turn into possibly the greatest wrestler we've ever seen, or he's, he's not that. So <laughs> that's a hard example to, to try to pull to from. Fail. Yeah. Right. So, what I'm what I'm gathering from Jay White is I'm I'm slowly trying to pull, pull, uh, peel back the layers on what this is because I've I've I like you Chad I've watched wrestling a really long time and I've watched people get belts they weren't ready for and seen seen them flame out tragically now I'm going to see him in person uh in the at the MSG show oh, cool. I I thought I thought there was going to be a possibility of Okada and Omega five so. Him being in the main event was a shock to the system there. I'm like, I don't know about this. And uh, it's just something different. I think people have to give it a chance. Uh, and I've been really hard on Jay White. Really hard. Like it, like my um, homeboys, Josh and Jeremy from Keeping a Strong Style, have, have tried to tell me this guy's a star. He's a star. He's a star. He's. I'm like, all right, but where are the, where are the results? Like, I saw the Juice Robinson match, and this was about Juice. Uh, at the at Wrestle Kingdom, Okada outperformed him. I, I was waiting to, to to really see the match where it was like okay this guy's the star of the match and i think him and osprey actually shared that like this wasn't a will osprey carry job it wasn't jay white outperforming him but it was a it was these guys are really close in age jay white's 26 osprey's 25 and if they can keep that thing going maybe they got something with those two uh, I, you know, I'm still looking for the spectacular classic and he's in search of that. And it's just a different era. Like they, they've, they've built it up in the storyline and saying new era, like is this thing? And it really is. And you know, if, if, if it's one thing that this has taught us though, like new Japan has been the best book company in and out year after year after year, they've earned a certain amount of trust that if this was another promotion, I think anarchy would would be ensuing right now. And to a small degree, it is right now. But Gato, as a booker, typically knows what he's doing. This is why it's always important to build insurance with your audience. So, and, and the thing, even if Jay White, he has a million guys to wrestle around him, as you mentioned, Ibushi. Then there's Okada. Then there's Ishii. Then there's... Uh, literally anybody, everyone's good in new Japan. So like, unless yeah. it's like, you know, you know, someone that's not anywhere near the top of the card, but I, I think they, they're trying, they, they need someone to figuratively fill that Kenny Omega role as a top four Westerner or literally a white guy. Like, yeah. so, yeah. so that's that. And he's the one that they chose. 
He's from the dojo, and this is something I, that I've talked about before in WWE, WWE being loyal to their performance center trainees like that. Jay White came out the dojo, so there's always going to be, you know, like they, they want to say their system works. So he's going to get every chance to be great. So if, you, if, you, if you're not rocking with it, I would say continue to watch. Just see, they might, he might open your eyes a little bit. Like he's slowly opening my eyes. I'm still waiting for the greatness, though. And for, for me, how protected the IWGP championship has been, I don't want to see anybody holding it that's not literally an all-time great right now. The last champions were Tanahashi, Omega, Okada, Naito, Okada, Tanahashi. Like for like the last six years. So when you're not in that class, it's a deep, like it's a departure from that. And there are people that are really like cool with this. That's fine. So like, you know, I think it's going to be on Jay White to perform this year. He's already got the champ championship. There's no going back now. So uh, I like what they've done so far with it. Uh, as far as, you know, his, his match with Osprey, that was his first real test. Can he keep it going? I guess we'll see. My initial impressions of Jay White were not good. I think I have shared with you privately that the first match I ever saw of his was, I guess, his first singles match in New Japan, which, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't that the Wrestle Kingdom match against uh, against Tanahashi? Yes, and it was not good. It was not good. Yes, it was very... I mean, I remember watching that. It was during a time when I was going to give New Japan Wrestle Kingdom to impress me. And that was a show that had Omega and Jericho and and uh, and Okada and Naito in the main event. And here you've got Tanahashi, the ace, you know, the greatest of all time in the, many of, in the minds of many, uh, taking on this young kid from the dojo and it i thought it i mean i fell asleep i couldn't I, I never actually finished it i was so bored with it and i felt a lot i felt very similar about the match that he had with okada at wrestle kingdom this year and i know a lot of people have said i need to give that one a chance and i plan to but it was not gripping enough to hold my attention it's not what i came to expect from new japan pro wrestling as a novice fan I watched the 2018 G1 Climax to give you an, an idea of what I'm talking about. Those of you that haven't really engaged with New Japan yet, I sat down and I watched, what, the B Block? The B Block is like the best, it's like the 27 Yankees of blocks. It's an unbelievable collection of matches from incredible talents, and it just is one after another, matches that when, when you hear the five-star hype and the five-and-a-half and, and six-star hype, I'm I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, I wrote the book on on the greatest matches of WWE lore. I mean, these matches are as good as anything you have ever seen in terms of what a great wrestling match looks like. All of its component parts—they're there and they're there, match after match after match. It's unbelievable. Jay White—he he doesn't do it that way. He he's not had an Omega versus Kota Obushi type match. He's not had a Kenny Omega versus Okada match. I mean, the Naito and Kenny Omega match from last year's B-Block during the G1 Climax was absolutely amazing. And it's just that over and over again, Jay White doesn't wrestle that way. And as I described to Rich in our Facebook conversation earlier today to prepare for this podcast, it's kind of like taking 1999 Triple H, you know, all the tools are there. The talent is there. The hype 
is justified in a lot of ways, but he if you propped if you plopped 1999 Triple H in like the NXT environment that we have today, it just wouldn't look the same. He he doesn't wrestle the way that all the all these other guys do. So what you look for with with Jay White is just it's like the it's like he's put there to represent a guy who doesn't do it the way that everyone else does, and that makes him, in part, that much more effective of a bad guy. His mannerisms are excellent, though. The way, In terms of expression, there may not be many better in NJPW right now than Jay White in that department. In terms of being characterful, in terms of being cerebral, cerebral working over a body part, in the two best matches that he's had to date, one against Juice Robinson last summer, Juice Robert Robinson, the former C.J. Parker of NXT lore, for those who are curious, and and then the match that he had just this earlier this past week against Will Ospreay, defending the title. Well, we know he can do it. You give him 25 minutes, and he's going to take his characterful wrestling. He's going to take his cerebral sort of mindset, which basically comes across on screen like he's got his opponent well scouted and he knows what to attack. He's very good at that. That doesn't translate very well to a 15-minute match, but it translates incredibly well to a 25-minute match when his opponent has the chance to pick up the pace. He can keep pace. He's got good cardio. He's able to do that. Those are four-and-a-half-star matches, ladies and gentlemen, but he doesn't put that kind of work in night after night after night after night, and that's what the expectation is. So I get every single gripe that people have about Jay White being champion. I've seen both sides of it. I like him as a change of pace. And at the end of the day, I think where I stand on it is how long is this title reign? If this is right. a if this is a cup of coffee with the title to establish very quickly a guy that they want to be at the top for the next two years, well, fair enough. Mission accomplished. But if this is a year-long title reign where it's every three months he has a match like he had with Osprey. That's not going to cut it, but I don't think he's long for the title. That show you're going to wouldn't shock me in the least if he loses the title on that very night. Yeah, and, and the thing is, I think you hit it right on the head where you said he's having the those those matches like four and a half star matches. I think I went four and a quarter with the Osprey match. I was leaning kind of in the middle, and I just you know uh, made him work a little bit more for it. But the thing is that the standard is just so high, and what has been uh, in 2017 and 18, those are like all time years. And it's just like every single title defense you're talking about Kenny Omega title defenses. You're talking about Okada title defenses and the Okada reign in itself is literally going through a roulette of opponents. Nearly like, I want to say 12 different title matches, two of them, not classics. So it's it's a hell of a standard to live up to. Like four and a half stars, it's awesome. It's match of the year in most places, right? But in New Japan, it's just another good match on the card, essentially. Like when it comes to, you know, if you're talking about, you know, I, I traffic in great matches for for like not a living, but like this is what I enjoy. I, I love seeing, uh, you know, I, I'm not married to my memories, anything like that, but I, I can recognize when something's, you know, okay, this is the new standard. This is different. Like, he's he's having good matches. But if this was 2016, he would be the man. But it's not 2016 anymore. Like, 2017 and 18 has just raised the standard. Maybe this is them trying to pull some of that back to earth because it's, that, that level is just not sustainable for for how hard those guys wrestle 
And I don't know, maybe it, there's a lot I think that goes into it. But um, yeah, I we're we're still waiting for for those top 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 tier matches from him. So whether he gets them, he look he's gonna have all the opportunities to. He's got all the opponents. And look, this is not Diesel having to wrestle Psycho Sid or something. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, I think the fascinating thing that. You know, to me, it kind of defines my New Japan pro wrestling experience thus far. It's like we're talking about a guy who maybe twice a year will have a match of the year candidate. And we're talking about that as being almost like that's substandard. You know, I mean, that's crazy to me. I mean, it sounds nuts, but it's really not when you're immersed in it. (laughs) It is absolutely true. And it's fascinating. And, And I think if you like I was thinking the other day, it's like that year that we sat here and we gushed on this show all the time when you would come on about that year AJ Styles had and like for we're a solid year he averaged four star matches on pay-per-view and it was like this one guy had over 10 four star matches and we hailed that as being this all-time incredible achievement and it is and I don't want to turn this into a let's knock WWE by celebrating this other thing type uh, you know line of dialogue but it is mm-hmm. fascinating that something like that if you go over to New Japan, you know, Kenny Omega is having like almost that number of all-time classics in a year. Right. You know, not right. just great matches, but all-time classic matches in a single year. That's incredible. I mean, that's nuts. So we'll see what happens with Jay White. Yeah. Uh, what do you see them doing moving forward? I mean, do you, if you had to look into your crystal ball at the top in particular – you know, you've got Kota Ibushi making a commitment. Will they make the commitment back? Tana, is he long for, was he was that whole thing with him and Omega just a, a blip on the radar? He never seems to go away. That's one thing. Ever, there's been numerous occasions in my short time viewing and trying to play catch up this decade where it looked like, okay, Tana's going to cycle back now. He's in his early 40s. What's his future hold? Are they going to finally commit to Naito? Is Okada going to be the guy who takes the belt off of Jay White? That's my prediction. Um, yeah, I'm right there with you on Okada. Like if, Tanahashi, I think he was a break the glass in case of emergency type title reign, <laughs> yeah. uh, and they, they could have always went back to that at any time. But Tanahashi was uh, he was right there. His 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 reemergence was one of the central stories of New Japan in 2018, and in the 2019, I don't really know where Tanahashi fits in at the top anymore. Yeah, especially because they don't do like these long rematch programs. It's like once you lose, you're out of there. Like you're to the back of the line. So <laughs> it's it's, it's going to be interesting what they do with him. But uh, I think Okada and, and Naito might be a direction for 2020. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it seems like that might be the right time to pull the trigger on Naito and kind of finally elevate him all the way across the finish line. Because to have yeah. him go up against... To, to go up against Okada at Wrestle Kingdom again and lose again for the second time in three years, that, I don't know. I mean, it, obviously... They've, they've, they've also protected the Jay White Naito match. They haven't even so much looked in each other's direction thus far. And that's always like a, a, a red herring. and uh, It's like a dead giveaway in New Japan. Like last year, like we should have like noticed, wow, Tanahashi and Omega haven't really been near each other since 2016. I wonder what the main event's going to be. And... Oh, it's been over a year. They haven't looked in each other's direction. That could easily be the, the match for Naito, who he wins the belt off of. How about that? Dominion has seemingly been a, 
a place where that type of stuff tends to happen. Um, unless you were thinking they'd go all the way to Wrestle Kingdom with that. It's, it's possible because they have Wrestle Kingdom now. They're going to be doing two days of Wrestle Kingdom. So, and this is like an idea I floated like back out about WrestleMania back. I want to say about two years ago. I was like, what if they did two days of WrestleMania? Just because it's so big, they have so many people to trying to get on the card. But New Japan is doing this. Tokyo Dome back to back, fourth and fifth. I wow. don't know how how they're going to be doing. Like, if they're going to have two big main events, if they're going to load up night one and then night two's regular New Year's Dash. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to do two big matches. So, wow. Yeah. Either I think either one of them has been such a protected match. I I think it's a viable option. And the and the beauty about New Japan is you really don't know. Like you just don't know where they're going because the they they hid the Tanahashi and Omega match right in plain sight. We should have seen it happening the whole time. It's like this is the reemergence of the ace. We didn't know it until the last day, and it was just it was fulfilling. Like it, that, you kind of just got to get lost in it. And you know, WWE like they, they they do a lot of things to protect some things, but they get very sloppy. Uh, where you can kind of see things miles away. And that's not a bad thing all the time. Sometimes the, the predictable thing, the boring thing is the right thing. Sure. And I, I, you know, I just have loved New Japan so much the last couple of years just because it's like, okay, they know what we want, but they're gonna, they're gonna take us on a ride for it. Yeah. Well, let's switch gears a little bit. I mean, obviously, one of the huge things that came about during my time away from this podcast was the uh, was the emergence of, you know, probably the most hyped number two wrestling company in 20 years, you know, and it hadn't even run its first show yet. And already all elite wrestling has taken the wrestling world by storm and. You know, from the New Japan, I, I think, you know, New Japan's role in making this possible, I think, cannot be understated. I mean, I, I get, that's that's my take. I mean, just for whatever it's worth, from someone who obviously has been, um, you know, nobody knows me as anything but a WWE guy who gives WWE analysis. So I'm very new and don't want to speak authoritatively on a subject I certainly have no, you know, authoritative command over right. at all. But for me, what New Japan did is New Japan offered a glimpse into what wrestling can be when it is not like WWE, and in a very high-profile way, in a way that packs a lot of people into seats, in a way that doesn't look second-rate, that in a way that doesn't look like it's trying to be a knockoff of WWE, which was, I thought, the biggest gripe and the most legitimate gripe about TNA in the 2000s and in the early part of this decade, is they just were never going to get anywhere close to any sort of special level with trying to be WWE, that you can't outdo the mothership at being the mothership. It is what it is. New Japan opened a door, and AEW is rising from the ashes of years and years of creative, silly decisions by WWE that have alienated a diehard fan base that just wants to love watching wrestling. All of us love wrestling, and to be antagonized like crazy for years. New Japan emerges. New Japan is amazing. What would it be like to have something comparable to that in the United States with a billionaire backing it? We're about to find out. 
That's the impression I get. We're going to get a lot of New Japan style, everything we talked about with competition, sport, winning, mattering. I think that's what Cody means when he says winning's going to matter here. Wins and losses will matter. Do you take it differently than I? Does that sound like a fair assessment? And what are your thoughts on all elite wrestling and what it could mean to pro wrestling in the United States? No, I don't. I don't take it as we're gonna see their uh, their their entrance placards. They're not gonna have records on them or anything, right? <laughs> but like you know, eleven and two, and you know, won yeah. their last five. I don't think it's gonna go like that. But I, I I think they're going to use wins and losses in proper ways to where it's the someone's biggest win ever and it's legit. Like it's not just something they're telling you like, Oh, this is such and such as biggest match ever. And it's a random show, right? It's going to be where the losses will, will devastate someone where the wins will be a euphoric type type event uh, for folks. Maybe I just have like big eyed hope uh, for AEW right now, but everything that they've, you know, pretty much put out there how they plan to use their women's divisions or tag team divisions. The guys that they look like they're investing in for the future, as well as who they have on top right now with Omega and Jericho and Cody, who's turned himself uh, into a commodity outside the WWE and them essentially deciding that they're going to be the open arms of the wrestling world. All the uh, deals where, you know, this promotion doesn't play well with this promotion. It's very political. AEW wants to kind of, it's, it's very ambitious and maybe it's short sighted even, uh, that these old beefs need to go to AEW to die. Like AAA and CMLL need to find a way to work together. So, or else you'll get left behind as like Kenny Omega termed it. And they, I think they want to work with everyone. And they want to try to give the fans – this is really a fan service company. They they are doing this for the fans. This is not a billion-dollar corporation right now. This is like – it has big money behind them. Don't get it wrong. But this is a thing, as you mentioned, it's grown just at the organic level. People really feel like they're in on this right now, even as they've – kind of sold out, right? They, they've sold out the, the independent spirit, right? But they have turned that into what I feel like is, like, they've leveled up rather than finesse. finesse. This is, like, what, what you ideally want for the, the guys that you follow that have been busting their ass and grinding, going through the indies and becoming legitimate stars without, like, the WWE machine and really the new Japan machine. These guys are doing this on their own, like through being the elite in ring of honor. And, you know, it, they essentially became a promotion amongst themselves. And this was only the logical next step. The only question was who's going to pay for it all. And what's the, the TV going to look like and anything like that. But this is, uh, I, I think AEW is going to be a melting pot of styles, whether it's Lucha, whether it's something we've never seen before, like, like OWE, uh, we're going to see great main event wrestling, like as far as like when Neville and, or Pac now and, uh, Omega and, you know, double or nothing, like they're selling tickets right now at astronomical rates. I don't know how it's anything but a win thus far. And, they the thing is they they're ready they're going to be sucked into competing but i don't even feel like that's their real idea they're planting a flag like we have this vision of how we want to pre- present professional wrestling are y'all rocking with it cool let's set up a show like that's where they're at right now and 
I'm just like, you know, I'm ready. And I, I, when I grew up, there were two great promotions in America, and I want two great promotions again. And it's, you know, every at wrestling, it all comes in cycles, and this just makes all the sense in the world. This was coming ever since Jericho showed up uh, and opened all these eyes that weren't previously on New Japan, opened that up, and it kicked the door open worldwide. And they kind of became a sub you know, like there was a there's a promotion in the eighties that got started where I had actually mentioned that to my boy Josh at Keeping the Strong Style, like where this is the the only real precedent is that. And it's like a couple of top stars starting their own promotion where, you know, someone would finance it. It didn't end up lasting that long, but the thing is these guys have so much more as far as in- infrastructure. They've got people working backstage, they've got legit ownership, they've got uh, you know, I, I'm. Have you heard the Jim Ross news that he's not resigning with WWE? I'm sure he's gonna. Yeah, I'm sure he's gonna find his way over to AEW in some capacity. So yeah. they're gonna have the minds. They're gonna have the the youthful energy uh, of people that are you know that know the the old wrestling business as well as the new wrestling business. And they've got just the this. Now, we 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 come across a lot of passionate WWE fans, both you and I, Chad. Right? Absolutely. But with AEW, it's – I don't know what it is right now. This like <laughs> this thing is, like, huge, and I don't know how big it is, but we're all going to find out. And I think it, it's only good for wrestling. It, it, like, if AEW succeeds, WWE succeeds. If WWE if, – if it forces them to, to really, like, get on their game and really just, like, come through in a big way, I don't know how – like, how does competition not make someone better in a sense? Like, if we just remove your biggest, like, like if Lim Bias just dies, how does Michael Jordan, like, wh- how much better is Jordan if if Lim Bias is around? Like, so it's like, I need, I like, we all need something to be better, to push us. And that's what AEW can be. I don't think anyone that watches WWE should should take AEW as this thing that's going to replace their favorite company and, you know, this blind loyalty and et- as you can see on this show, I've watched WWE my whole life, but I have no problem going to where the heat is. In New Japan, they've definitely they've raised some red flags right for me right now. I'm watching them, but like the thing about being a fan is you're not signed to any of these companies. Yeah. So yeah, like like you're not signed to WWE. You're not signed to New Japan. You will not be signed to AEW. So find a way to kind of watch them all like like yeah. i mean if like you're the, looking for something that you're and that's probably the greatest lesson i learned from my hiatus is if you're looking for something from professional wrestling that wwe or anyone else for that matter is not giving you wrestling business in general is very healthy right now you're probably damn damn well gonna find what you're looking for if you just go look for it so you know, feel encouraged. I think AEW, to me, I think one of the biggest things I see from it. You talk about competition. Sometimes competition is just something that has to be given the opportunity to develop. WWE has done this thing where they've taken away all the classic ways that you work your way up the hierarchy. It's just your your fate in the, is in the hands of the whims of a madman. And you're either on board with that or you're not. And in the past, you had no choice. You had to be on board with that. If you wanted the platform to showcase what you could do to the world, but that's not true anymore. And there are companies out there, New Japan being the one who I think laid the modern groundwork for it, where if you just go out there and you get and you have the most talked about match, you get over, then 
we're going to push you to the top and it's going to be pretty simple. You know, if you get to that level that we're going to push you to that level and AEW, I assume is going to mirror that. And in doing so, it's going to be fascinating to watch how that product evolves. But I love how it puts the competition in the hands of the guys who are out there competing. You know what I mean? It's all right. What can you do to get yourself to that level? We're not just going to homogenize what you do and throw you out there with a script and, and just kind of overproduce everything you do. Your job is to go out there and fill the time we give you. So go do it to the best of your ability, and let's see what happens. I love the creative freedom these guys are getting. And now what we're looking at is what seems to be almost like the NBA player sort of empowerment movement. You've got so much power going to the wrestlers right now. And that's incredible. I mean, that's something that I don't know that I realistically thought that I would see after all these years of just nothing really changing about the fact that WWE had sort of become the brand. And it no longer even really mattered. If you were in the main event of WrestleMania, it seemed like someone else could just be taken and put in your place and the WWE machine would roll on. But the enthusiasm behind it, the excitement for it, how much energy we give it as diehard wrestling fans who show up and shill the money for this kind of, of experience to go to a show like WrestleMania. What's What are we getting for our investment? Now you've got these guys who are going to be competitive, and it's going to be incredible to watch a company that's built around letting guys be themselves turned up to 10. The old classic pro wrestling adage making that happen, seeing what happens, and letting the people who get the most out of what they can get out of themselves drive the ship towards who's in that main event, who's competing for that AEW World Heavyweight Championship. That's what I'm most excited about. And I love the fact that Cody is a wrestler who's putting himself in the position to give other wrestlers the greatest platform to showcase what they can do, I love that analogy, man. I really, I was, I was reading this article in ESPN, the magazine, about Kevin Durant kind of taking control of his brand and, you know, not really sticking with conventions and just wanting to build the best Kevin Durant brand he can build using basketball as his platform. I love what they're doing in the NBA right now. It's like, okay, these owners having so much control for so long, like Vince McMahon has had so much control for so long. Hey, man, no way. You're not the product. We're the product. So, right. you know. And, and, and one other thing with that is, like, it's already happening. There, there are people that feel like they can ask for their release if they're not being used right. They don't just have to rot under contract. And, you know, we get stars. We've literally – this is the story of the wrestling business. Stars come out of nowhere where you don't expect. When – Eric Bischoff sent Stone Cold Steve Austin a FedEx or stunning Steve Austin a FedEx feeling like he wasn't really a big loss uh, to, to WCW at the time. Who knew he would turn to, to Stone Cold Steve Austin? So it could be like the smallest guy that, that asked for his release. What was Cody really doing when he left WWE? He was stardust. Like we couldn't have called this. This is the beauty of professional wrestling, creating an environment where it's competitive for fans, for talent and like ultimately the money like <laughs> like that that not only the wrestlers are going to get but their you know their prestige and everything like that all competition is in play and can only be a good thing i love it the protection you know the the year the year after year we'd have this quiet discussion maybe once a year about you know independent contractorships for for the wwe wrestlers and 
you know, really being employees, but being classified as independent contractors. So WWE had paying employment taxes on them, and WWE doesn't have to provide them with health insurance, even though they they kill their bodies to to do what they do. You know, AEW comes in and says, we're going to write that wrong. I mean, that's incredible. I love that about AEW as well, and that's not something that would get a lot of airtime on a pro wrestling podcast, but I think it's probably one of the most important things they're doing. It's like, hey, we're not going to run you guys into the ground. We're going to pay you well. We're going to pay you what you deserve. And, you know, let's all go make money and make history. Yeah, man. Pretty incredible. Okay, well, let's uh, let's start wrapping it up here. Um, any thoughts quickly on WWE Fastlane tonight? Predictions? So, Fastlane, um, I'm not sure. They could go a lot of ways. Uh, I actually just did, recorded um, uh, a segment called Sidelined, and I, I did my predictions there. I, I think they've the the Becky and Charlotte thing has got uh, very convoluted in nature, and I think <laughs> uh, the the easy answer is Becky beats her and she qualifies for the match. I don't think we're headed that way. Um, I, I think they're just gonna throw another ridge in it, and then you know you got shoot Ronda Rousey running around on you know social media doing God knows what as far as calling the business fake. Um, they, I, I think this is uh, going to be a really simple show. I don't really see too much changing. You got Brian, you got uh, the Shield, good Roman Reigns uh, on returning, uh, overcoming you know his his, his bout with um, leukemia. But I think this is going to be just a, you know, it could be good on paper. I'm not sure though. So, sure. yeah, I would love to see the one thing I would like to see because I am very much. I am very much right now on the bandwagon of wanting to see Dean Ambrose turn up at AEW as John Moxley and just be blanking unleashed as a character. God, right. I want to see that. On his way out, though, what I would not mind seeing is Roman Reigns versus Dean Ambrose. Apparently, that was the original plan. I would love to see that actually come to fruition. Um, let that happen. At yeah, um, on Dean's I, way out. I, I think that's that's the the best match they can do. I hope they run 450 yards in the other direction from Baron Corbin. Oh, uh, I heard that out there as well. I'm not but, that. <laughs> yeah, I hope that's not the case. Uh, yeah, I, I think Roman and Ambrose is a solid direction. Yeah. Now, other than that, I don't really have any predictions. Uh, quick, quickly, WrestleMania 35 versus WrestleMania 34. Which are you more heavily anticipating? I, I mean, WrestleMania 34, I think we were anticipating the greatest uh, show WrestleMania of all time last year, right? I don't, uh, know. I don't th- The, the I, main I, event was the Albatross that drug that yeah. show down, even on paper. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what I'm really seeing this year. Uh, you've got Kofi Mania, which is awesome. Yeah. You've got uh, Rollins going at Lesnar, and then you've got the women's triple threat. So it's different. I'll, I'll say that it, it's definitely like um, I, I think they are listening this year rather than just saying you will eat your veg, you will eat your potatoes and like it. And I don't <laughs> I don't think that's on, you know, on, on tap here. But I think that WrestleMania this year is going to be is going to have to they're going to have to answer some some questions about like the future of the company because they've got the whole Fox thing coming. They've got. You know, more money rolling in than ever, and it's 
every you know it's a tentpole WrestleMania. It's like one of those every five years of WrestleMania. So something big has to happen. I don't know what it's going to be yet. Um, I don't know if it has quite the juice that it's had in previous years. I like the popularity. Like you know, I'm not I'm not sure, but they're, they're sold out. I know that. So that that's good. Um, I, I I'm I don't know, man. WWE they just give you they give you so much to work with sometimes. And then it's like, they snatch it back. But so I, I, I'm really excited to see Becky, um, really, really, you know, cement and, and, you know, and and Kofi, it's like the story of these people that have just been around forever. And if they finally get theirs, that that's kind of what we're looking for. And, and we're, like kind of like like we're hoping for the best but we're waiting to get the curtain uh or the the rug yanked from under us that's kind of what i feel like the um the collective uh thought of the fan base is right now i think that they've got some good things that are going underneath the surface right now that are about to rise to the forefront and i think if they are able to make something out of AJ Styles versus Randy Orton which to me just seems like a really good second match at WrestleMania not going to get much better at the second match of WrestleMania than 12 minutes of those guys cuz they've if you follow the history they wanted they've wanted to work together for years. AJ Styles has been saying Randy Orton's name from the moment he got into the company in terms of guys he wanted to work with. AJ yeah. Styles I think is going to make the most of that mid-card situation. I, I think if Finn Balor gets a one-on-one title match against someone who he can work with I think if we see Becky, Seth Rollins, and Kofi Kingston all win at WrestleMania, this could go down in history as a WrestleMania that really made fans feel good in general after so many years of leaving a bad taste. I, I think it, it's right there. It it's is. a layup. Wait, is a layup waiting to be had. Yep. Will no, they take it? Don't I, overthink. I feel it. like all three of those people like. It's either like someone's going to lose, and, and I'm terrified to say that. I don't know who it is, but someone's going to lose of those three. I don't know. But, I mean, if you if you gave me those three wins plus a Finn Balor IC title match that actually had some juice behind it, if you gave me AJ Styles and Orton and Dean Ambrose and Roman Reigns in the mid card, you can fill the rest of that stupid card with all the part timers you want. I'm not going to pay attention, but those six matches will carry the day for me. So, yeah. all right, man, we'll plug your stuff before we head on out of here. What you got going on? For sure, man. Make sure you guys check us out on One Nation Radio on LOP. Uh, we always do the Raw and SmackDown TV reviews immediately Tuesday night after SmackDown goes off the air. So you pretty much catch us in raw form uh, <laughs> with, with all the jokes and everything else that, that we do. We also host a show on Sundays over on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Uh, make sure you guys check out. Uh, you can go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. Pick up a One Nation Radio t-shirt. also have a Patreon page if you guys would like to support. Uh, Patreon.com slash One Nation Radio. I've got Goldberg, The Road to 173-0, and uh, where I'm rewatching Goldberg's streak and going through it, as well as other random random shows and events you can follow me on twitter at rich 32 or at one nation radio uh we'll make sure uh to interact with you guys and all that so but chad thanks for having me on man i appreciate it loved having you man we'll have you back some way sometime down the road uh check out the rest of the shows on the lop radio lineup as well check out the wrestlemania era the greatest matches and rivalries of the wrestlemania era available in uh, both print and uh and 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 ebook versions check those out 
And uh, and that'll do it for the debut edition of the Sunday Wrestling Conversation. For Rich Latta, this has been the Doc Chad Matthews. You guys have an awesome week. Uh, catch you next this week. This is just what the Doc ordered. I'm saying welcome. They sick of the other shows. Chad here to help them. The author of the Mania era is bringing terror on LOP radio. This is the prepare for the knowledge that he about to showcase. Like a bar that you lift, his opinions hold weight. He wrote a few books and he's working on another for y'all. This is a five-star podcast. Chad, let's get it on. Author of the WrestleMania era, the